Thank you, Janet Lee. Your playing is like a spring of water, really, really fresh and really good. God bless you. And a hello out there, everyone. Well, you know, today is May the 8th. This is the year 2016. And this is Mother's Day. So good morning to you mothers out there. And we have something uh, in this teaching today about mothers. And you'll find it very, very interesting. And we thank God for the word. We thank God for the power of the word and the glory of the word and the truth of the word. So blessed be your ears. And the Bible says, let them that have ears hear what the Spirit says to the church. Well, from the broadcast announcement, it goes like this. In a grand swing across the over and the under, the spiritual blackouts of the ages from the long truth is reaped insights about the secret places that exist in each person's spirit. One of the greatest secret places that exist in the spirit of persons is the revelation from Jesus Christ while he was on earth ministering. And he said that the kingdom of God is within and you cannot observe this kingdom of God, because it's an invisible energy that is within each person. And that is verified in the first chapter of the book of the Saint Gospel of John, or the Gospel of Saint John. And so there is a tremendous potential, far more and much greater than the average human, mortal, or Christian mind has perceived. And that is that there is a potential of the kingdom of God. In that kingdom of God, there is the constancy of the image of Jesus Christ, and Jesus says, I will be in you and you will be in me. And there is the constancy of the, the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, which will lead us and guide us into all truth and which will bring back the lost memories and restore to us the years that the cankerworm and the caterpillar have eaten. And so, there is a tremendous revelation, an awesome revelation, that has to do with the potentials of what exists in our spirits. So these are called secret places. 
like in the Bible's description of the secret places or secret moments or hidden things in the stairway. And these exist in each person's spirit. And it's so important to get into spirit life. Now, I'm not talking just into what people think of the spirit of God life. You can't get into the spirit of the life of the ultimate God because it is totally alienation to the flesh and blood body that you have. But you have a spirit that has been made of the nature to exist, sort of to become a nucleus of the body and there to be a zone of separation from the flesh and blood aspect that allows it to exist without there being a crash of these two energies of the positive and negative. Now these constructs of thoughts are, are mysteries, but they have the power of transformations and they're essential for obtaining high levels of reveal that can lead to perfection and holiness. Inside the dark keyhole of the door gate of heaven, there are proofs that wait to reveal that all things with God are possible. Possible now have always been possible in the was and in the is and will be possible in the to be. In one swish of the color wand, in one word of the ancient one, identity moves from being an unaware identity to becoming a known and aware identity. The dark keyhole speaks. I found your face. I need to shine upon it and make you young and strong. I need to shine upon the galaxy of your brain and raise stars, raise stars for orders of spiritual warfare. You shall raise your little finger and nature will know to obey. Come into the shining where abides whirls of mighty rushing winds being born. By the spirit run all day, run all night and gain strength of wings. Dark angels envy that you can do what they can do, but with peace and righteousness. The true exodus seeks the Bama, that spiritual high place of the highest mountain. There in the shadows of creative love, each destinata spirit is being, being told, a star shall rise out of Jacob. Night passes and morning stars arise. The keeper of the pearls of the great price refuse to gamble with them. They wear their pearls as necklaces and as how gods would wear them. The soldiers who followed 
Their lower parts went to war but never came back. Their bones for century lay in heaps, dry, cracked, broken. Ezekiel was called to breathe upon their, their bones and prophesy for death and hell to leave the planet Earth. Observing it while wandering as fallen cherubim once cooned to Lucifer, having learned the art of the lie and spoken it for thousands of generations, yet could not recognize the truth that was happening. A pile of great stones, some barbed and pointed, piled into the making of a mountain of rock called Selah, named after the majestic Selah Rock Mountain called the Rock of Ages at the Father's House planet. The Father's House the dark side of Moses tells it all. Seth comes back in a regeneration called Moses to redeem, to redeem his brother Abel and to save the spirit soul of Cain and his offspring who became some of the Canaanites and the giants. Their multitudes must for ten generations be put into exile until cleansed and purified before they can take part in the salvage or for the salvage of their fall. <clears throat> the dark side of Seth, as Moses, walks the forbidden dark of the keyhole tunnels where a baptizing of the dead is occurring. They who in ignorance slam the door on this truth may live to see their spirits wandering vast space, spaces. May live to see their spirits wandering vast spaces without lead or direction. Seth was made in the image of Adam. Being the image of Adam, he was therefore also the image of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Therefore, it was not out of the line are not out of the line of order for Moses, who housed Seth in his body to say that another person would come like unto himself, which of course was Jesus Christ. This was told in the Tetragrammaton of God's eternal name. I am and I am, or Yah and Yah. Therefore the invisible God being the entity of the first presence was the first Yah, and the second Yah was the Word made flesh. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not know about the second Yah. They only knew about the invisible God, who was the first Yah. Consequently, not knowing about the second Yah, who was the image of the first Yah, and who was the Jesus, the Christ, they were in a lesser ministry of knowledge than Moses. Well, there is so much. We learned last week in Genesis 4:25 through 26 that Eve came into the recognition and the knowledge that Seth represented another seed instead of Abel. So that we know that Abel was not regenerated at that time. That that Seth was not the regeneration of Abel, because it says here, another seed instead of Abel. 
Now, in Exodus 6, 2 and 3, it says that my name was not revealed. And that's been very confusing to a lot of people that read the Bible. Because it seems like the name was revealed. But there's a deep meaning to it. The name itself, on the surface of one aspect, was revealed. But the name, on the surface of the deep, full aspect, was not revealed. And we'll see that as we talk about it today. Because in Exodus three fourteen through 15, God told Moses, my name is I am and I am, which is the same as being equal to Yah and Yah. And he said, this will be forever from generation to generation. So, as we begin to look at all of these things, there is a story that we've just barely got into last week. But there are so many interesting things. Well, there was, there was Seth. And it is very important to understand exactly what the ministry of Seth was, especially as we tell the audience, as we did last week, that Moses was the regeneration of Seth. Well, when we look at the, at the, at the name Seth, S-E-T-H, and it's also spelt in the Bible, S-H-E-T-H. And this was the third son of Adam and Eve. As we look at that, it does us, in a very interesting sense, to examine that in Luke 3.38, Seth is an ancestor of Christ, listed as an ancestor of Jesus Christ. So there's a perspective there about Seth as being an ancestor of Jesus Christ. We see that that is the dominant aspect of Moses because it does not list Moses. But when you understand that Seth and Moses have an, an equivalent ministry aspect and, and uh, spirit aspect, then you understand it in a much deeper, fuller way. And that's in Luke 3.38. As we begin to look into the, the roots, the many root possibilities, many which seem to be of unknown origin, but without doubt, there is provided a large summary of roots and their possibilities. Now, one root, we'll just, to make it simple for you, spell some of these out, S-H-Y-T, <coughs> occurs 85 times in the Bible. And it occurs in such um, differentiation 
that uh, it makes it very complicated to translate it in English. So when we look at these various different possible routes, we can see it being presented as a masculine noun, S-H-Y-T, denoting, denoting a garment or something put on. And that finds, <clears throat> that finds in my mind it to be very interesting when we think in terms of, of Seth, the spirit of Seth having put on the body of Moses. And as we look into the verb derivatives, that is the emphasis of the S-H-Y-T, denoting a garment, something put on. But it also has the slight reference derivative of S-H-A-T, which denotes something of a national aspect. And that is very interesting. And we'll get into that uh, perhaps a little more as we just keep talking here on this revelation. Now, here's one that is just, this is just a, a roll up and take off with. It's the noun S-H-A-Y-I-T. And it's a collective word denoting some kind of thorn bush. Now when we think of the whole revelation that was coming to Moses out of the burning bush and that we see that the, the root of the word saith has derivative that actually encapsulates the concept of of the bush. I find that exquisitely interesting. Then it also, in the root verb S-H-A-A, -A, has things like a crash that leads to ruin, which of course is talking about the fall. And this is what the whole thing of Seth and Moses is about, to bring about a salvation plan for the fall of Cain and the whole connection then to Abel and to the offspring of Cain. <clears throat> so, we see that these revelations are written right into the name. And that is so confirming. Now, there are other mysterious meanings, but I, I just don't have the time to go into all of them. But there is an aspect on the one side that I mentioned that is the masculine, but there's also a feminine noun Sha'awa, or S-H-A-A-A-A, denoting a devastating storm, tied into the idea of something producing run, 
describing also with a slight um, modification of of, uh, of its potential uh, root, the roaring sound of wild waters. Well, these roaring sound of of wild waters is akin to what we've been talking about, the rushing sound of the many waters and the whirlwind message. Then it goes on and it even has things like uh, the noun S-E-E-T, meaning dignity, like we think of the terms of the angels that enter into that elect our, our, our dignity ship. And to think that there is so much of this possible in the name. Also, the, the Sha'an uh, is another masculine noun that is a root derivative, means sons of the battle, sons of noise. And there is portrayed there a broken symmetry, which would certainly be true when you think about this, the promise of the Adamic soul and how that, that symmetry was broken by the fall of Cain. And then it goes on and uh, it, it, it just shows many other, many other possibilities. Uh, some are difficult to uh, comprehend, but they have real deep potentials for tying into this whole message that I am sharing. One interesting one, uh, I'm skipping some of them, but is the, um, the assumed root, S-H-T-H, which has the meaning uh, when it is put in the masculine noun of S-H-E-T-I, of meaning warp. You know, like the warp plane, like, you know, things being turned upside down, things out of orbit, uh, the foundations of the earth out of place. And then, this is important, we, uh, we, we, we get into um, the assumed root, which has a preceded, uh, which is preceded by the particle, L-E, and it means in vain, and I'll, I'll be getting into that if I have the time. And, uh, uh, but what is connected here is, as it would refer to um, the familiar command, you shall not use the name of the Lord in vain. <coughs> and you'll see as I hopefully have the time to really expand this ministry, how that in this very name of saith, from a derivative root, is this idea of the word vain, but particularly as it is listed in Exodus 27, where it says in the familiar command, you shall not use the name of the Lord in vain. And we'll see how that, that revelation is just so absolutely 
absolutely distinct. And it goes on and on and on in other kinds of, um, you know, meanings. Uh, like it, the S-E-H can mean a sheep. Uh, the shawa, uh, again, being used as a verb, can mean a lookalike. Um, a, a other associate root, root, S-H-I-N, uh, can mean to become. So all these derivatives of that name is profound. It, it is m actually mysterious that there would be such a wide range such as that. Now, um, Saith had a son, and uh, it'd be interesting for just perhaps a touch to uh, go in to the aspect um, of that word of the of the son, because uh, there there is a a part there very very interesting uh, that just is so profound with all these connections and how that they just all tie together uh, for their meanings and. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it's nothing less than exciting. Hopefully, um, you'll be able to, to see the power of this. Uh, for instance, let's look at the word Enosh, E-N-O-S-H, the son of Seth. Uh, it indicates a man, but not just in a singularity, but as that man being a part of and representing a root group. So now when we think in terms of this as being a ministry, and we think in terms of how the, the Bible says that when Enos was born, that in those days, and he was a son of Seth, that, 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 that men began to uh, worship the name of God, and the name of God that was given is the Tetragrammaton, which means, it's all in caps, it means, it means God. It doesn't mean some idol. It, it doesn't mean some foreign God. It's the very name, the secret name revealed to, to Moses, uh, but not in the full extent, uh, only in the partial extent. But that is all part of, of the name of Enos, which is the, the first son, the firstborn son of Seth. And um, it, it, uh, it, it's just absolutely interesting. Like there's an aspect of this word Enos, uh, which has no derivatives. Uh, so it's not anything like the word Seth that has so many derivatives and root possibilities. But what it does have is very, very specific uh, as it also represents and indicates man without any special characteristic. And in this case, we're referring to it as it's representing man that has lost his soul or that is in jeopardy of his soul. And I find that utterly 
vastly interesting. In fact, the very strength of that is, is e expressed uh, in a connection to that word enos with, with the very word meaning soul or needy thing and even meaning spirit and sometimes spirit is left to uh, be understood as soul but not actually put in the right perspective. So now we're beginning to get into some of the dark side of Moses. The secrets that that, we, that has not been known about Moses. The secrets that are so very, very important for the truth. And how that without this truth, you can't really know the Moses that the Bible talks about. It is so vastly evident as we look into the scriptures, and I shared some of these with you last week, and we find things how that in the revelation of Exodus 14.20, how that a cloud divided the army of Egypt and the Israelites at the Red Sea. And to the, to the Israelites, it was, it was a cloud that gave light. But to, the, to Pharaoh and his Egyptian army, it was dark, and they had to stop. It was, it, it was a cloud of darkness. Well, if a person was of the nature that you were discerning the spirits and you went into that cloud of darkness, you would then see that Pharaoh and a whole armed army was there just waiting to wreak havoc and destruction upon the Israelites and Moses. But you would have had to go into that dark cloud into that darkness, because sometimes you have to go into the, into the darkness to get the revelation. So in Exodus twenty twenty one, I shared last week, Moses drew near to the thick darkness. There is much, much information in the thick darkness, and that is part of the dark side that the most of the world and most of the Christians and most of the theologists and the scholars do not know about Moses. In Isaiah 45, 3, it uses this particular reference. I read that last week. I will give you the treasures of darkness. Now we begin to see that in Colossians 1.15, there is the image of the invisible God. And it's interesting that we have an invisible God, but that the image that is of this, this invisible God is not another invisible entity, but instead it's a spirit that has been made flesh and blood. And so sometimes you would have to go into the darkness of that flesh and blood, because it's, it, it is a revelation on the dark side. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, so it's on the dark side. But if you were able to go into that revelation of the dark side, of the flesh and blood, 
then you would be able to see that the spirit that that particular f flesh and blood was, was Jesus the Christ. And that would be a treasure of revelation. Because by seeing that, in that particular aspect, you would also come into the recognition <clears throat> that it was there as an image of the invisible God. Because within the physical flesh and blood body, there was an invisible spirit that represented also then the invisible God. And in Hebrews 1, 3, it says that Christ was the express image of God's person. So we know that there is a dual aspect. 1 Corinthians 15, 49 says, as we have borne the, the physical body, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Wow. And there are things on the dark side of Moses. Like Psalms 106.32, it went ill with Moses for their sakes. Things that happened to Moses that were very difficult, very hurting, very painful. And it was an ill experience, but it was done for their sakes, the people of Israel. So the scriptures then that connect, and I shared these with you before, we'll share them again, is in the Torah, in the revelation of Moses, Moses realizes that God is going to raise a prophet. There's going to be a continuum of these revelations. And is going to raise a prophet likened to himself. And that's verified in Hebrews 2.17 and in Acts 3.22. And then in 1 Corinthians 15.44-49 it shows that there is a first Adam and a second Adam. And in Luke 3.33, it speaks in the genealogy of Adam, the son of God. So, as we dig into the Torah, the Torah, as we come into the flesh sight, and we see the dreadful negative aspect that pervades. And we see how that the people who are so involved in the search don't even seem to think about the things that are in darkness needing to be revealed. The part that we know being very much dimmed by the part that does, is not known. And the numbed mind of the church fold. 
So Moses is the regeneration of Seth. And this whole revelation of Genesis 5 of the generations of Adam are an incredible, awesome, awesome, awesome thing to see and to know. First Chronicles 1, 1 through 3, Seth is also spelled S-H-E-T-H. So, we've got to really open into this revelation because if we don't, we will miss the revelations that come out of the dark side. We will miss seeing the mystery. We'll miss even hearing God speak out of the darkness of the burning bush. And then, before I turn this over to Jan for a break, we'll fail to understand what it means about not taking the name of the Lord God in vain and how that that connected to the very meaning of the Seth, Enos revelation and how that the really, real meaning of that was not just someone using a swear word, not that that is being lifted up, but that it meant that you could be talking about a name, talking about a person, a sonification, a concept, an idea about who Moses was or who God is or who Jesus was or is. And by not understanding the full beatitude of it, you could be taking that name in vain without knowing what its meaning and understanding really was and, and its power of attributing so much of the glory of the meaning of that name. Janet Lee at the organ.
Thank you, thank you, Janet Lee. Yeah, I still hear those springing ups. Praise God. Okay, here we go, folks. So the teachings of Moses clearly place God's angels on earth using fleshly bodies and walking among the humans. The teachings of Moses teaches the scapegoat teaching of Azael, angel of darkness, and how that they took and divided the, ki the kinds of sins. Some were, were bore by the, the lamb's blood, but other sins were put on the scapegoat. And the scapegoat was sent off into the hills. There is the up, there is the down. There is the here, there is the over there. There is the positive, there is the negative. There is the light, there is the darkness. You do see a star in the day. <clears throat> For those that live on earth and understand that the sun is a star, you do see a star. But there is something also beautiful about opening your door and going out in the darkness and looking up and seeing all of the heavens aglow far, far away with stars shining like diamonds in the sky. And so there are treasures in the darkness because the darkness is like mysteries unknown. And it is so important in these teachings to come into those sacred divine moments when in the whirlwinds of God's rushing mighty winds, you are able to be lifted up into a power of observation of such a way that it's like it described God that whether it was day or night made no differentiation to God. He could see the same in the day or the night. Well, nature tells us that there are animals that are basically animals that see in the day. But the nature also tells us that there are animals that can see and they basically see in the night. And so we have this reality that there is vision both for the night and the day. It doesn't exclusively or conclusively mean that night vision is evil or that day vision is holy. It just means that there are dualities and it differentiates the kind of entity you are as to the capabilities you would have 
to see both in the day and in the night. And so it is an incredible, awesome journey. And grasping Moses, speaking out of the bulrushes, speaking out of the bush of revelation, is a factor X of much unknown. It is a it is a time that although Moses knew his way around, that all of the people mostly that were following him did not. The great majority did not. And we see how that that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but that in the end, obviously the son of Pharaoh, who was also acting as a, as a Pharaoh for his, his very elder dad, who was still the Pharaoh, that this situation was of the nature that they decided they would go after Moses and Israel, and as I said last week, to pursue them because of their taking of designs and jewels and equipment and actually military equipment, electrical guidance stuff. People say, well, there was no electricity then. Um, don't be too sure about that. So as we begin to dig into this, there are, are interesting things. Because, you see, the Bible tells us that the same Pharaoh that was the husband of, of the lady who became a stepmother to Moses, that he was the Pharaoh of the time of the Exodus. And the Bible says when Moses went into his escape area where he ended up eventually having the experience at the burning bush, that God told him he could go back because the Pharaoh was dead, the Pharaoh that had persecuted him. So we're talking Moses having gotten very old, much older at the time. And this means that this, the estimate is that that Pharaoh, that was the Pharaoh of the, of the, of the Exodus, lived to be something like 94 years old. So he obviously did not die in the Red Sea. That was obviously his son who was an acting Pharaoh that died in the Red Sea. But that that other, that original pharaoh, the older, elder pharaoh, lived a long, long time. And you have to go a little bit into the dark to see those things. But it's in the scripture. But it's not just the most simple Simon scripture to find. Now it's amazing, all these writings of Moses. Like, there are some incredible things. We find that 
one of the great problems that is out there is that the people of God got mixed up with a mixed multitude of people de deluding and polluting their their blood types. And we see that uh, in the 11th chapter of Numbers, and the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? And they talked about how that they had all the special foods and and uh, cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic and fish in Egypt. And how that now they were just on this 40-year trip of the manna, which tasted like fresh oil. You could see that that could possibly not be a delicious eatery, something tasting like fresh oil. Um, but it had incredible power to even make it so that your clothes and your shoes did not wear and obviously had an incredible power of regeneration uh, to the body. But people were lusting for the taste more than they were for the benefit. And the Bible says in the 11th chapter and 10th verse that Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, every man at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was greatly kindled, and Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And he goes on, I have to skip a little bit to save time. Have I conceived all these people? Is it my responsibility to carry them in my bosom as a nursing father carries the suckling child. Then he goes on, he says, in the 14th verse, I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me. In other words, if I have to continue bearing this load, then just go ahead and kill me because I, it's more than I can handle. I pray thee out of hand. Now this is a very interesting sentence there. If I have found favor in thy sight, let me not see my wretchedness. Yes, there was a dark side to Moses. A dark side that was about dark dark information that he was discovering that was awesome stuff but there was another side too where he was a soldier where he was a man that was raised to kill the enemy and he thought nothing of killing the enemy there's no remorse there he was doing what was right he was doing what a soldier should do and when god on the mount said, thou shalt not kill. Oh, that was difficult for Moses to understand. His dark side didn't equate it. And he says, let me not see my wretchedness. Then God, 
the Lord, capital L, capital O, R, D, all capitals, said to Moses, okay, gather unto me the 70 men, the elders of the people and the officers who are over the tabernacle of the congregation, that I that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there. And I will take of the spirit which is upon thee and will put it upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee that thou bear it not thyself alone. Now, the Bible goes on in the 24th verse. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered the people. Verse 25, And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him, that means Moses, and took of the spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. But there remained two of the men, that means of the seventy, in the camp. They, they did not come down to the gathering of the 70 elders. They were still in the camp. And the name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them, and they were of them that were written, but went not out into the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, he was a, a powerful top believer in Moses. The servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My Lord, Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto, into him, unto him, Envious thou that my, for my sake would God that all the Lord's people, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, were prophets, and that the Lord put his spirit upon them. Now, what I want to talk about here is something very incredible and very different. And that is how that, how did this happen? How did this happen that the Spirit moved upon this group that were in this one place? And then these two that were part of that group, but had not come out from the camp yet, and had not gone to the tabernacle, had not for some reason been obedient to what was supposed to do for that to happen, and yet, nevertheless, the, 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 their spirit, they received this part of Moses' spirit. This is something that was, that was a belonging Holy Ghost anointing, and there was a relationship of that spirit that tied into who he was as saith, tied into who he was as Moses, and understood that dark side of his wretchedness and understood him coming into the knowledge of the dark side in a way that people had not even imagined it because he had a knowledge about electricity. And when the Ark of the Covenant was made, it was made so that it had a very powerful electric energy that could be released. God wanted it to be that way. So we see going back to the 11th chapter of the book of Numbers, 
And when the people complained, verse 1, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. They could be totally separated. They could be one over here, one over there in this whole camp. And, and if you know how the, the insignias of the different tribes and how the camps were actually spread out over quite a distance, it's quite a thing that in all these different parts of the camp that this fire would find them. And the people cried unto Moses. And when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. Now, some people have called this kind of a fire St. Elmo's fire, because it can come down in lightning and then take off and run like balls across the ground in different directions. But this was something along that line, but even different. And there was something happening here. Now, the scientists sort of discovered something along this line, and they called it the quantum leap. And this German scientist discovered this. In fact, even to this day, his concept has been a standby for understanding a lot of very deep technical things that without that knowledge, it'd be very complicated. A quantum leap, something that leaps. Is that Bible? Yes, it is. It's so Bible, it's incredible. Only the Bible doesn't call it the quantum leap because that's not the perfect description of it. But this fire was experiencing this, if we want to call it for now, the quantum leap. This spirit thing that was happening was happening by quantum leap, a holy leap. We talk in the manifest about the holy leaps. That is a profound description that is a more correct description than the quantum leaps. leaps. And we're going to get into this. But to think that this is in the Bible, in the Torah, this thing of the quantum leaps, this thing of the holy leaps. We remember once when we were in a Melchizedek meeting and we had really been there worshiping before God and the fire came down. Now, you have to understand just like when the cloud came down, that to the Egyptians was a darkness, but to the Israelites was a light. When this fire comes down to the people that are holy, it is a beautiful thing. But to the people that are in disarray and are complaining, it becomes a dangerous, evil thing. Well, in our Melchizedek meeting, we had this fire come down, and it hit the side of the building inside and took off 
and you could see the fire just moving at a tremendous pace and just the fire and the, the flames just racing all around like in a circuit around the inside of the building as we all sit there, none of us touching the wall, but sit there watching that, that fire of God. And none of us was, were hurt. We were none of us hurt. But it was divine. It was inspiring. It was exciting. It was a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see it. It was the holy leap. The holy fire just leaped down and hit that wall and took off, circuiting around and around and around. Well, that's where the idea comes from, this circuit, this circuit of the atoms, the subatomic particles. And as they circle around the nucleus, they, they create rings, and there are different levels of these rings. And some of the rings are closer to the nucleus, and some of the rings are further away. And so some of the particles, as they are moving around, they begin to increase in their electromagnetic energy. And suddenly, one of two things will happen. If they increase in their energy, they leap to the next circuit, which is closer to the nucleus. If they drain in their energy, they leap the other direction, which is further away from the nucleus. It could go both ways. And that is called the quantum leap because it doesn't like just make a little trail and just you know, go across that space over to the next circuit. It just leaps. Now they've used that name quantum leap for commercials and movies and all kinds of things. And it's not related to anything that I'm talking about here. This is holy leaps. This is incredible mystery that so was so profoundly revealed to Moses. Now, this is Mother's Day. So now let's turn to the book of St. Luke. And in the book of St. Luke, chapter 1, it talks about two persons that were righteous before God, walking in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both now were well. That means they were advanced. Stricken in years. Now it means they had reached a place of being so old that their body was sort of in a defunct. They were in their last years and the body knew it. And it's certainly not the time to become a mother, it wouldn't seem. Or a father, it wouldn't seem. But when the Holy Ghost is doing something, it is regenerative. And it doesn't operate based on custom or based on expectation. And the Bible says, there appeared an angel of the Lord unto Zacharias, whose job was to execute the priest's office and to burn incense in the temple. And Zacharias saw him 
and he was troubled. Obviously, this angel appeared as a man. They could take different kinds of bodies. So the X and the Y in him was a man. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel of the Lord said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Now, We've explained how that this John is Elijah. And people say, oh no, there's no Bible for that. Well, there isn't, there isn't. Let's read verse 17. And he shall go before him in the spirit. That's a definite article. You know what a definite article is? It's definite. It's the spirit and the power which also from the cons, from the concordance of Saint, uh, not Saint, but of of Strong's G fourteen eleven can also mean person. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, which which is translated in the English from the Greek, but it's actually Elijah. So, what does it say here? It says he's going to have the spirit of Elijah and the person of Elijah. He's not going to look like Elijah did, but he's going to have the person in the sense because there's other words that go along with that person and, it mean, and it's the, the, the performance of the person. Like the works and the miracles will be possible. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said, I am Gabriel. Oh, what a difference in description. Jeremiah used to say when the, God tried to talk to him, he said, oh, I can't do that. I, I, I'm, I'm just a child. And and. The Lord spoke to him and said, Say not that I am a child. Don't talk like that. And I'm sure that this same thing was evident right here. That Gabriel was saying, Say not that I'm old and stricken, and my wife is old and stricken, and we're just too old for such to be a, a mother and a dad. Don't talk like that. He said, Let me tell you who I am. I am Gabriel. That's the way you need to talk. And behold, because of how you're talking, I'm going to teach you a lesson. Verse 20, thou shalt, not, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things come to pass. That's what can happen to you. You can lose time. You can lose event. You can lose a time of glory, a time of persuasion, a time of, of revelation, a time of vividity by speaking up and speaking negative all the time to Jeremiah say not that I am a child 
to Zacharias, Say not that I'm old and stricken, and my wife is old and stricken. Don't talk like that just because you've done that now. Your tongue will be sealed, and you won't, you'll be dumb. You'll be dumb. That had a double meaning. You will not be able to speak until these things come to pass. Now, it's interesting. If you looked at this in the deep side of things, in the dark side, a person that would have been hit with something like this, so profound, where you could not even talk. It doesn't seem to me to make a lot of sense that then Zacharias feels very amorous and he gets with his old gal that is stricken in years and he goes to bed with her and gets her pregnant. It seems to me like something else happened here. It seems to me that there was a, a holy leap that happened here. That the spirit of, of Elijah did a holy leap right into the wife of Zacharias. Right into Elizabeth. Because in Luke chapter 1, verse 24, it says, And after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Now I know some people say, well, that's because she was had no child. Well, it would be very unusual and very interesting for someone who was the wife of a priest who was had a job at the with the lighting the candle and doing the incense at the temple for for people any of the people to be causing this reproach at that time in their life it seems that she was just so profoundly astounded that she was pregnant and that she was this old person going to have a baby that it was just almost shame-founding to, uh, to her. I mean, it was just incredible. And she hides for five months from anybody being able to see her. Now, let's just let that ride a bit. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent uh, from God into the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Now here's another case. A man is, is espoused and she is uh, very, very clear. Later in this question here, she says, when the angel says she's going to have a child and she says, well, how can that be? 
This is verse 34. See, and I know not a man. I know not a man. And the angel answered and said, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also, also, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now it's interesting. It's very interesting. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. And Mary arises and goes to the hill country, the city of Judah, verse 40, enters the house of Zechariah and salutes Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped, leaped, L-E-A-P-E-D, in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Leap. Verified. The Holy Leap. Verified. Well, where do we want to take this? Well, some very interesting places, as far as I'm concerned. Like, let's look at the Song of Solomon. And I'll just turn there and, and read it because it's quite interesting. Chapter 2. Here is what it says. I charge you, this is verse 7 and 8, I charge you, O you daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose, R-O-E-S, and by the hinds of the field, that you stir not up, nor awake my love, until he please. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. Verse 14, O my dove, thou art in the cliffs of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is, is comely, leaping upon the mountains. Wow. Wow. And so, the quantum leap, the genetic leap, the dance of the genes, the dance of the genes, like an electron jumps closer to the nuclear or the nucleus or further away from the nucleus. There's a, a quantum light, a spiritual radiation in a photon type of leap, leaping upon the mountains, down the hills, genetic leaps, deferred progenity, all of the way from this Adamic promise of the generations of Adam, this, this leap, a holy leap, Witnessed in the book 
of the Old Testament by the leap of the Spirit. How that the Spirit knows exactly where to go. And how that that leap is so precise and accurate. How that there is no uncertainty principle with it. How that the Bible says that the power of God is capable of dividing the body, the soul, and the spirit. Hebrews 4 and 12. How that there is a thing that is all involved in this thing. Like in the 16th chapter of Ezekiel, when the babe, Adam, is discarded by his parents because he was born with something that seemed to not be bodily correct, and they tossed him away. And he was polluted in his blood because his blood was involved with people who did not have souls. And when the sons of God began to marry the daughters of men, there was this problem of, of intermingling with the soulless aspect. And so there had to be something happen with the giants. There had to be something happen with the Canaanites and the Ammonites that were offspring. They were offspring of Cain, and they had in them a donorship of soul, but it could not be expressed as it being a soul person because there was also a donorship of non-soul. And the Bible says that the bull, the blood of the bulls and the beast cannot be used for the altar, for the cleansing, for the power of deliverance. What's it talking about? It's telling us in a special way that, they, that the animal side does not have a spirit soul. They have a body soul, but they don't have a spirit soul. Therefore, their, their blood has no power. Now, what does it tell us in Acts 17.26? That God has made one blood all nations of mankind. All nations of mankind, every nation, every race, is all one blood going back to Adam. And any other blood that comes in that infuses and blocks that one blood concept through saith is not the plan of God. Not the plan of God. Now listen the uncertainty principle is not for you. There's a dance of the genes that can happen. There's incredible stuff. Yes, there are chromosomes that are different. Two X's equal a female, an X and a Y a male. But those things alter and change sometimes. Humans are generally born with 46 chromosomes divided in a, into pairs of 23. But then there's the monosomies and the polysomies. There's the count of chromosomes 45X 
or 45Y or 47XXX or 47XXY or 46XX or 49XXXXY. Things happen, especially in societies where they are feeding people with hormones. There's a message here. I'm close to just finishing this, but not quite. The Bible talks about innocent blood. And the Bible tells us in Hebrew 10.4, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and beasts can solve the problem. But in Joel 3.21, it says, I will cleanse their blood. Talking about humans that are mixed multitudes. And the Bible says that everybody, Ezekiel 33.4, has this issue, this idea, this concept about blood. And if they've given a call to be a, a witness and stand in the watchtower, they have the responsibility of the blood on their own head. So now, we see that this thing of the quantum leap is gigantic. But it's not really in the name quantum leap. It's the genetic leap. The, the dance of the genes, which I have ministered and preached on oh, so many, many long years ago. And it ties into this whole thing of saith as Moses. And this whole job of Moses going out to eradicate the polluted lines that have a death in them that kills the soul promise. That has, the Bible says it could take 10 generations to get it changed. It's sort of like the story that you can mix, mix two, two animals, like two different kinds of dogs, and you'll get offspring and uh, that of the mix but all of a sudden at a certain point you will end up with a pure line coming out it's a phenomenal thing in the course of time well <laughs> i didn't get to finish we're going to have two more meetings this is 28 we're going to have 29 and 30. And then, I'm not saying there won't be more of the uh, episodes of this Escape from Genesis, but I'll be stopping for a break so that I can be have some time to get ready for the manifest meeting in the 18th, 19th, 20th, 18th, 19th of June in California. So two more, and I'm going to try to get a lot of this buttoned together because it is so absolutely awesome. There's so much yet to share. God bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine on you, Janet at the organ. <laughs>